0: is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by ThePilotReport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly.
1: Episode 21, a recap of Women Fly It Forward. Carl attends planes, trains, and automobiles. Wine deliveries via airplane. Glenn's Alaskan Super Cup ski plane adventures. Our picks of the week and more coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast.
0: Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Neuville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Welcome, everybody, to episode 21 of the Stuck Micah Abcast. I'm your host, Len
1: Costa, and joining me on the show today, as always, are the usual groups of aviation ne'er-do-wells, starting okay. first with Carl Valeri. Okay, we have Carl. to do
2: something about this little intro thing? Go ahead. <laughs> you didn't know? Well, I've got to look up ne'er-do-well now.
1: Oh, you know. Okay. Anyway, Carl, starting with Carl Valeri. Carl, how you doing today?
3: I'm doing wonderful here from Plant City Airport, watching airplanes take off and land.
1: Plant City I'm Airport. What's the, going on there?
3: The, we are having planes, trains, and automobiles, and uh, we're transmitting here live. Planes, trains, and automobiles is being put on by the local Chamber of Commerce, and they have some really cool airplanes out here—antique airplanes. The one that I like the most, of course, is the uh, Ford Tri-Motor. They're going to have uh, plane rides for kids doing Young Eagles flights. They're going to have also some automobiles, some antique and classic cars. And they're going to have trains like Lionel trains, people that collect trains. Oh, and I can't forget there. there's going to be a whole group of radio-controlled airplanes uh, flying around. And I'll be out in the field talking to some of these folks and interviewing them. And it's, uh, it's a real family-friendly event. Uh, there are lots of kids out here. There's going to be lots of rides and things to do and and uh things to eat and uh just uh, it's uh, pi- people are piling in right now i'm located at the end of the runway and thanks to our sponsor the keel and curly winery it's a winery out here in uh, plant city and we're actually transmitting or i am from uh their uh their uh, mobile hangler here right here it's uh they have a cherokee six they actually in the state of florida they move wines around so that's kind of a cool job and i just appreciate them they're the Keel and Curly Winery is kind of interesting. They're like the Napa Valley of Tampa Bay, if you can imagine that. And uh, if you do ever fly in here to, to Plant City, it's uh, just a short ride away. Of course, just go there. And uh, they'll, if you mention the Stuck Mike Avcast, they'll give you a discount on wine. Ooh, discount? Yes. So nice. you have to fly into Plant City. It's a great, And by the way, Plant City Airport is not far from Lakeland Sun and Fun. So uh, it's just down the road. If you want to go down to Lakeland and check out the museum there, you can do that. And as I'm speaking, I'm sitting here watching the uh, Ford Trimotor taxi out to take off. So you might hear them uh, taking off here in just a minute.
1: All right on. So we're on a little bit of a uh, sound seeing tour this morning, I guess. Yes. (laughs) Seems that way, that's for sure. Very cool. And Victoria, tell us this morning, uh, you're podcasting from uh, IFR from the hills of Frederick, Maryland. uh, What's going on? Yep,
4: I'm just sitting, looking out the window of our office, and I cannot see a thing past our deck. So, not a good day for uh, me to go flying, that's for sure.
1: Oh, bummer. Uh, Rick, my friend from Boston, what's going on?
2: Well, if Carl wants to pot up the uh, the Ford dry motor, we could listen to that. Is it going by, Carl? Is, is that it, Carl? Yeah. Do I hear I'll, that in I'll the let background? you know when it's okay. Cool. Off. Yeah, afraid. so I'm I'm uh, I'm outside of Boston here, and it, where it's still kind of unseasonably warm, although today. Definitely getting back into the normal groove of of temperatures, but it's been kind of wild up here
1: awesome and uh, I'm Len Costa here, podcasting from the uh, back patio of hostel Obispo in San Luis Obispo, California, the happiest city in America and this may have been a mistake because it's like forty degrees out, and my fingers are frozen. <laughs>
2: Uh-oh. <laughs> you have a lot to talk about today, so I hope you can... Hope yeah, right?
1: Gonna, yeah. Maybe uh, i will keep me warm. Yeah, there you go. But, uh, so if you hear the birds chirping in the background, yeah, I'm enjoying the uh, back patio life here. out in, Well, maybe the sun will, will peek over the roof and warm me up today. Let's do the pre-flight. Quick announcement today. Victoria wanted to share the results of her Women Fly It Forward event that we just recently had. Uh, Victoria, tell us a little bit about the success of that day.
4: Oh my goodness. It was so much fun. I think we had a total of uh, 28 airplanes flying um, a total of 244 women within five and a half hours. So we broke our record by 60 um, from what we flew last year. So that was really exciting. Um, Sarah Fraher from Flying Wild Alaska came all the way from Alaska to talk with all our future women pilots. And so did Jane Wicker from Jane Wicker Air Shows and we even had a UH-1 uh, Huey fly in from the US Air Force. So there were so many great people um to talk to and all the girls really enjoyed the event.
1: Yeah, and uh Carl and I got an opportunity to meet with some of those folks. Carl did a couple of interviews um I think with uh few well, one of the helicopters and we got a chance to talk to Sarah Fraher. She was a uh, she was a real nice. Um that was it, awesome. You great. Know,
3: I'll have to apologize though about the video there. Uh, I actually I was a little bit excited when I was interviewing Sarah, so it was a little bit off there <laughs> for a second. Did you get the shakes? Second. The camera. Well, the camera uh, just, angle. Uh, when
1: I showed up, he was like
2: pointing it to the sky. <laughs>
3: yeah. it went she, a little
4: bit off there, so but she was so great to talk to. She's really she down to She was super so passionate, so
3: just, just such a such a light in in the world of aviation. She's just terrific and so inspiring.
4: I couldn't imagine a better role model for the ladies to talk to that day, so I was oh, yeah. really appreciative well, that she came. So guys, far. you know, yeah,
3: you know what's going on right now is I'm watching this Ford trimotor. If you want to listen to this little thing take off, it's actually not that little. Here we go. Gosh, that thing's beautiful! Sweet. Wow, <laughs> I'm hoping to get a ride in it later, and if I do, I'll uh, take some pictures when I go up in it. Cool. Better yet, spend some of that
1: captain's pay and get yourself a type rating in it. There you hey, go. Hey,
3: <laughs> that's not a bad idea, Len. No, I guess I'd like I won't to do be doing 20- that. In the DC-3, I'd like to get a type rating in. Amen. B-25 is my favorite. I would love to do that. And uh, I looked into that actually. It's a little expensive, but uh, they are a little expensive. But you know, you need a you
1: need a flying vacation. I think something like that could be real enjoyable.
3: Yes. Yes. Maybe I'll take the money from my, and uh, I just sold my airplane, my share of my airplane. Oh, that's so maybe right. Money- that and uh, get myself a type rating or something like that you know i was i was pretty bummed out about that and and honestly you know in a in a boat owner's life the best day is when you buy it and then when you sell it on a plane owner's life the worst day is when you sell that airplane so i didn't actually I, i'm not out of my airplane i'm actually between airplanes that's how i'm actually dealing with this so i'm right now between airplanes i did not sell my airplane i'm just between them that's how i'm dealing with it psychologically
4: well, if you ever need insurance, you know who
3: to call. I know exactly who you know. The folks at AirPros, they are the best. They actually uh, yeah, insured. Yeah, I've, I've heard of them. Last craft. they are wonderful. Great to deal with. If you're here in Florida, they actually have a uh, a local representative whose name is Victoria. What's his name? Uh, Joe right here Cacho. In, uh, in the Lakeland area. Yeah, Joe he's, Cacho. Out of, um, he's terrific.
4: Yeah, he's out of Orlando. So, and actually Super all the friendly. Air Pros people were uh, line guys at the Fly Forward event. I put them to work. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I met a few of them. And I like Air Pros because they throw the best hangar barbecues at Frederick, Maryland.
4: Heck yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, by the way, speaking of barbecue, that's, uh, you know, when I showed up, I thought I'd be seeing ribs and pulled pork and uh that's what that's what they have for barbecue down here hot dogs and hamburgers but uh just i didn't you know it's kind of a, a a shift there a paradigm shift when you move up north but barbecue means like a hamburgers and hot dogs that type of thing it's like grilling now it was actually yeah yeah it's like grilling right they call it grilling here yeah it's kind of interesting huh. but uh wow. all the planes were the same everybody did the same thing in them uh, oh. that was a great event though that But hey, you know, hats off to you, Victoria. You did a bunch of work there and that probably never would have gone uh, without all the hard work that you did. I really, we, everybody appreciates it.
4: Thank you. I'm sorry I didn't get to talk to you guys much. I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off. I mean, I think I said <laughs> hi to you, and that was it.
3: <laughs> that was enough. Well, you said hi and move these chairs. Hi, I'm Victoria. Accident. Nice to meet you.
1: Here, yeah. go to work. Carl. Hi, I'm Victoria. Move some chairs. Hey, Len, I need, <laughs> I need, uh, I need this extension
3: cord. Run, quick, oh, fast. Yeah, That's I what I got. Len.
1: Grab me an extension cord. Run extension now. Cord Hang em- up.
4: Emergency. <laughs> Hurry up. <laughs>
3: So, Len, what was your what was your favorite part of that show? I mean, I, I don't. You mind if I ask you that? Uh, or do you have yeah. Favorite? The, uh, well, it was, Sarah.
1: I mean, we well flirting with Sarah. Come on now. We had to. We have some. We have a. We have a mutual friend. So I was like, hey, you know so and so, and she's like, yeah, and we got to talking about that and. And the funny, you know, ask Carl, he's, he's his jaw dropped on the floor. She's like, let oh, me get please, my camera man. so you can take a picture with me. And Carl's like, wait, she wants to take a picture with you? I'm like, well, I've anyway. Like, what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, no, Sarah was, Sarah was a joy to talk to. But um, really walking around, because Carl and I did some video work. Uh, we were doing a, a delayed live broadcast on Ustream. And just get an opportunity to walk around and talk to the, to the women out there and ask them, you know, about their experience and their desire and their interest. A lot of girls had, um, you know, actually had an interest in flying. And this was, you know, their first opportunity to go up in a small airplane. Um, Many of them that I had run into after their flight said they were definitely interested in trying to pursue it, at least take a couple of lessons. And, you know, it was really, you know, uh, for me, it was just kind of a a heartwarming. Like I was sort of like beaming all day because I was so excited to be able to share uh, you know, share, you are always excited to share aviation, but there was such a large group of people who are passionate there to, for their first, you know, airplane ride. And you could just feel the energy at the entire event. And it, you know, it just, it was such a great day. Um, so it was, you know, that was my favorite part was just getting to talk to, uh, talk to all the people before they went for a ride after they went for a ride. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. What about you, Carl? Besides flirt, he, he he says I'm flirting with Sarah. Victoria says I was flirting with Sarah. just seen Carl in the helicopter pilot. Woo-woo. Oh,
3: please. I was very interested in what she had to say. <laughs> Incredible story. Why did it? You know, you're not the first wow. patient to say that. I was just in awe of her background. Gosh. I was, I was drooling over her background, not over her. Geez. Yeah, not over the foreground. This. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm in trouble. Uh, <laughs> But you know that actually it was pretty impressive. She she was something else. She uh, the helicopter pilot we're talking about. Both the helicopter pilots, I should not just say the one because there was another one that does like uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff and uh, some of those folks that they fly, they were there also. And both of them were terrific. And uh, you know everybody had the same thing to say and and this was my biggest takeaway is that just do it. If uh, you know especially speaking towards the, towards the women and the girls out there flying, just go for it. You know there's there's no reason you can't do it some people may still these days even tell you hey well girls don't fly that's not true and 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 they've proven it uh you don't hear it as much but just you know i think there's some people that have that impression that uh you know women don't fly and they but they can that's and that was my my biggest takeaway at that whole event was uh was that fact actually the the other there there was two other things i i really enjoyed number one uh... amazingly enough i got to talk to some other people about some technical things uh... concerning the uh... the airplane uh... two other folks have the same engine i have it's a real uh, it's called a peep conversion continental engine and uh... the uh... uh person who owns air Pros actually has one of them and he and i discussed that quite a bit and then the other thing that amazed me about this event is i'm sitting there and i'm out there with a camera and there's planes take taxing and taking off and uh, I said to myself, all of a sudden I said, wow, you know, there's all these spinning props out there. How do they keep things safe at this air show? And that's something that I think people have to have a little bit of experience with when they're they're uh, running an air show. And I do applaud the, everybody that helped with this event and Victoria for putting this together because – there were no instances of, of, of uh, anything as far as uh, lack of safety there, uh, anybody getting hurt, etc. Everything they did, uh, just a wonderful job uh, getting everything together and... Yeah, it's uh, extremely and, well-organized safety-wise. And it was just in and out, in and out. Uh, just, just, I was amazed at the number of airplanes uh, uh, that came in there and TJ here from Tampa, he was going to fly me up in a Cirrus, unfortunately, I, I didn't have a chance to do that. Uh, but the, the, it was so cool listening to everybody talk about their airplanes and their passion for flying, and sharing that passion with the young ladies and everybody that came out to fly. Um, how about you, Victoria? What was your? Uh, you're the one that ran the event. Did you actually have a favorite part, or were you just numb afterwards?
4: I'm <laughs> um, <laughs> sore and sunburned, and the next day, oh, this was so embarrassing. My face swelled to twice its size because I got like sun ouch. poisoning. I had to bring Sarah to a very nice brunch the next morning. (laughs) So here I'm with Sarah Freyer. I'm like, don't remember me this way. My face is all swollen. It was disgusting. (laughs) I looked like a pug. Um, (laughs) But anyway, my favorite part was actually, you know, I was running around so much. I didn't get to talk to the participants as much as I really wanted to. But when I was in the registration area, three times I ran into women who were buying their discovery flights. So they immediately got off the plane, went into the flight school to buy their next flight. One lady actually was buying a logbook because she flew with a lady who was a CFI and let her take the controls. So she actually got to log. Nice. She got to log her flight and she got her husband to come back. And they each bought a discovery flight and they're going to start flying.
1: Wow, how wonderful.
4: So, I mean, those are the stories I'd love to hear. I think a total of six discovery flights were uh, um, purchased that day. So it's really exciting to wow. see what will come out of this. Yeah,
1: but you know, that, those that are is couple exciting people too. I bumped into. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Carl.
3: No, I was gonna say it's so exciting to see all those young kids come by. As a matter of fact, I have a few that just uh, walked up just now. You guys here for for the air show and to go flying today? Yeah. Are you guys gonna try to get an airplane ride? Yeah. I'm too scared. You're too scared, why? <laughs> <laughs> and what's your names? Robert. Yeah, well, guys, they came over. Actually, they're admiring the little airplane we have over here. With the, the, it's a Cherokee Six, and they wanted me to take them up flying. If I had the keys, I would take you guys up. But boy, I tell you, there's a whole bunch of planes over there that uh, that you can go in and uh, take rides in. Oh, mom's calling. They're taking off, guys. Thanks so much. Take care. <laughs> <laughs> Mom says, "Get away with from the man with the, the microphone." With the microphone, <laughs> talking to himself. <laughs> <laughs> But that's that's what's exciting about, you know, the women fly it forward in these type of events is just seeing all those people come out to fly. Sorry, I just had to interrupt you there.
4: And uh, just one last note about fly it forward. Um, All the awards will be um, announced in April. So who won the most female pilot friendly worldwide award, the most dedicated CFI, the most dedicated pilot. All that stuff will be announced in April. So hopefully um, by our next episode, I'll let you guys know.
0: Cool. Very cool. Now entering cruise flight. I got I to
1: gotta say, I've had... I've been, I've been slacking. Uh, I've, I know there's been a few few questions about the Alaska flying trip from folks, and I figured, well, maybe it's finally time now. It's been like two months since <laughs> I went there. <laughs> and I've had a lot of questions from folks, uh, you know, through, uh, through the last couple of months about my trip up there. So I'll just give you a little brief synopsis. Uh, in February of 2012, I had... Um, some vacation time from work, and I spent uh, nine of those days of vacation. I spent up in Alaska doing some ski plane flying in a Super Cub. Now, this wasn't actually the the first time I'd been up to Alaska. I went out there in August of 2012 for the very first time to fly the same Super Cub. But at that point, it was on uh, bush wheels. Has anybody flown in a Super Cub or flown a Super Cub uh, for my co-hosts? Nope.
3: nope, no, no,
1: no. What uh, what tailwheels has any of you flown?
4: I flew a Pitts and a Super D.
1: Uh, Satabria, oh, Super D, Satabria. Okay, Carl.
3: Uh, let's see, Cap Ten B and Super. Oh, Cap I flew 1. that
1: one too. Yeah, the
3: it's Super awesome, 10. isn't it?
1: I got my tailwheel endorsement in a Super D, but I did a flight in a Cap Ten up in Nashua, actually, Rick. Oh. Um, through Daniel Webster at okay. the time when they were there, I went for a ride in the Cap Ten. It was just a cool airplane too. Um. So that, but yeah, so, so I went some. It is there. Yeah, there. I love tailwheel flying, and I got to admit, it's one thing I don't get enough of. I mean, over the, shoot, uh, eight, seven, eight years I've had my tailwheel endorsement, I probably still don't have 20 hours <laughs> in a tailwheel. So it's not something I fly a lot, which is, you know, one of the, uh, one of the interests. Of when I originally went up to Alaska in 2010, an old flight student of mine had been uh, doing some traveling visited Alaska, decided it was his, you know, his playground, and he was determined to buy an airplane and a plot of land and move up there, and he eventually did. He bought this uh, beautiful Super Cub. I think it's a 1959 Super Cub. She's blue and white in great, excellent condition. It has a uh, upgraded engine, 180 horsepower. It comes standard with 150, but he's got the 180 horsepower uh, engine in this. He also has a climb propeller on it and, uh, I might be getting the size wrong, but I think they're 31 inch bush wheels. Um, so they're pretty big tundra tires. And so when, when I found out, uh, um, that he was going to be up in the area, he also flies for a living. So he said, you know, I'm going to be up in the area for a couple of months in Alaska this summer. You should come visit me. So I said, well, you know what, I'm definitely going to do that. So I went up in the summer of 2010 and, uh, Got to my you know my first experience doing some bush flying in Alaska, and I learned a lot of cool things up there. I mean, there's so much more that goes into it. I mean, if you've seen some of these videos on YouTube from the guys like Long uh, Long Props and Big Rocks, uh, they do a lot of uh, Alaska videos. But um, there's a lot of technique that goes into it. A lot of technique that I had no idea. And and so, a few of the things that I learned out there um, were you know you don't when you're doing bush flying you don't just go i mean you you can land wherever you want to land but you can't uh you can't just you know fly by pick a spot and boom you're down there's a whole process that goes into it and so my friend CJ was explaining this to me while we're in the air and basically when you're picking a landing spot i mean you're going to survey it and most of the time this we did the same thing in ski so you know i'm going to give you a little bit of contrast between summer flying and ski flying but we would um we would fly over oh, we would you know when we found a landing area we would overfly it probably three or four times in each direction, kind of surveying the land to see if there's any, uh, what kind of obstructions or, lo- you know, sometimes you're landing on a gravel bar, you, you know, you want to get down and see if there's any logs or anything in the way. Um, so we do it, you know, we're doing a couple of passes back and forth. Again, same thing in the ski plane. You're surveying, surveying the ground. And um, after that, after about three or four passes, you generally come back down and you'll touch down very gently with the uh, the main wheels and you'll drag the landing area to get an idea of um, the you know the surface and whether or not it's hard or soft, especially if you're landing in grass and there's been a lot of rain recently. So you drag the wheels through and you keep the tail up, you're under power, but you sort of just drive down the surface and get a feel for what's going on. Again, we did the same thing in the snow. When you're coming in because there's some, you know, one thing with snow is it covers a lot of stuff underground. So you don't know if there was, uh, you know, uh, frozen ridges or rocks or anything. So it may look like a flat surface on the top. But when you actually touch down, if there's some frozen things underneath, you know, it could be either a rough ride or too dangerous. So you drag, you know, you drag the uh, drag the wheels or the skis through the uh, through the area. One, so, and we did it anywhere from like one to three times. Sometimes that, like in the snow, we would pack it down two or three times before we'd come in for a final landing. And the other thing that we did is. At uh, the the Super Cub flies in miles per hour on the uh, on the airspeed indicator. So one trick he taught me is to, in, you know, in bush flying, it's not a published airport. So how big is this landing area? I well, you know, you've got to figure that out. So we use this technique: you slow the plane down to seventy miles an hour, and you overfly the landing area, and you count one 1000 two one thousand, three one thousand, and you just count count count, and whatever one thousandth you get to, is roughly. Ooh, what is that, Carl?
3: <laughs> that's actually a that's a 182 taking off right now. It's got a big old engine in that thing.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: wow. Um so you count, uh, you know, 1 1000, 2 1000, 3 1000, whatever you get to is roughly the distance in hundreds of feet. So you get to 6 1000s. Wow. And that's roughly 600 feet of landing area and takeoff distance. So we would do, you know, part of the uh, part of the flyby assessment was just surveying the land, see what kind of debris may or may not be on the ground, then dragging the wheels or skis through to get a feeling of the, you know, whether the, the earth is too fur or too soft. Um, it can be too bumpy, actually. When we landed, we landed on top of a mountain, Mount Susitna, and uh, it was grassy. But what I didn't realize from the air was that that grass was basically covering, uh, they weren't big boulders, but it was like, mossy rocks and it was like uh, you know it was like hitting speed bumps at 100 miles an hour on landing and on takeoff so you know you can do that but those are some of the things that you know when you're dragging the wheels you feel some of those uh some of those differences in the ground texture so you know after all that is said and done then you can come in and you can make your landing and you know part of that is also a part of those those circuits and all that other testing is to kind of get an idea of which way is the wind coming from Um, And there's just, I mean, you know, there's so much cool stuff that goes on my first, um, you know, the first, the first bush landing that we did in the summertime, um, we were using a gravel bar in the river. And I, my gosh, I had only seen this done on, you know, on YouTube. But, um, you know, you can use with, with enough skill and training and practice, you can use the water as part of your landing surface. Okay, so we're coming in for landing on this gravel bar and we probably skimmed across maybe a hundred feet of water before we hit the gravel bar and then slowed down. So we used it as landing distance and it was just the coolest thing because I'm looking out the window and I see these wheels spinning on top of the water as we, uh, you know, as we come in for landing and then we touch down on the gravel bar and like I have this grin probably bigger than the size of my face going,
3: man, this is just (laughs) too cool. Um, was that so, scary at all to you? Did, did you worry a little bit about maybe not making the gravel bar?
1: I mean, um, it was out of my comfort zone, but like I said, my, uh, my friend has, he's taken extensive lessons from local Alaska. Uh, actually there's a gentleman up there. Um, I can't specifically remember the name of his business, but, uh, Steve Baldwin is his name or Jay, excuse me, Jay Baldwin. And he, uh. He's a commercial airline pilot, and he has a bush flying school out of uh, Wolf Lake, Alaska. And um, he did all the uh, training for CJ, teaching him how to fly and do some of these things and, you know, flying into short fields and surveying and using the water and all those kinds of things. And um, so he had extensive flight training experience, uh, doing all this stuff in the practice. So, you know, I put my faith in, of course he was my, my old flight student. So I knew he could fly the airplane in the first place. Um, and then he had, uh, you know, this experience from these other, from these Alaskan Bush, um, uh, Bush pilot instructors. So it was, uh, it was, it was, like I said, it was a little bit out of my comfort zone as a passenger. Cause you're like, wow, I've never done this before, but you know, I had a lot of faith in, uh, in my, um, my friend who was flying and, uh, and so I, and I learned a lot of things. And I actually, my very first, uh, my very first bush, um, bush landing was on a separate gravel bar. One of them actually up on the Kinnick arm part of the Kinnick river. And, um, we've got, uh, there's, there's an actual runway in the gravel bar kind of marked out by cones. So it's a pretty common, uh, pretty common area there. So, um, you know, I did my first bush wheel landing there, on on the gravel bar and, uh, you know, I did about six or seven passes around on the gravel and it really wasn't, uh, it really wasn't, you know, any different than landing on, um, landing on pavement, but, uh, when, you know, when I went up there this February, again, my friend was like, listen, I'm going to be back in the area. It's winter time. I just bought skis for the super cub. You have got to come up here and fly this thing. So I said, you know, absolutely. There's, there's no reason not to come up and, uh, try, you know, try my hand at a little ski plane flying. And, uh, so I, like I said, I went up there in February, 2012, just a couple of months ago from, uh, from when we're recording this current show. And, uh, the uh, what what he has done is uh, he got these uh, skis and retrofit uh, the airplane for these skis, and uh, so he's on um, the aircraft is is housed on a private runway. Uh, it's a it's a fly-in community. It's a grass runway. There's probably about half a dozen houses um, on this little fly private fly-in runway, and uh, so we would go down there every morning. And uh, the very first morning we went down there, I mean, there's this whole process to winter flying in Alaska that, you know, you think to your sort of, well, you know, it's probably the same in the lower 48, but, you know, I he had some tools and some equipment that made things easier for us up there. And for some of the, uh, you know, listeners that might have been following my adventures online on Twitter, uh, there was a, actually it was my pick of the week in the last episode, but the uh, Northern Companion. Um, portable engine preheater, and just just briefly touch on that again. It's it's basically a piece of uh, stovepipe ducting and a um, – or stovepipe um, sheet metal and then some ducting that you put into the engine uh, compartment, and you light a camping stove to provide the fire and the heat to do an engine preheat. So we would go down there, and we put on the engine blanket, and we'd set up the, uh, um, the Northern Companion preheater, and we'd let it run for about an hour – uh, until, you you know, until you could feel, you know, like a good, nice warmth on the cylinders, uh, you know, warm to the touch with your hand. And then, um, you know, we'd, uh, <laughs> we would grab a piece of rope and tie it around the chassis of the airplane and put it on the ball hitch of the pickup truck and use our Alaskan tug to pull the airplane out of the hangar. And, um, you know, then we'd go out and we'd do some flying. And we did, um, you know, the first takeoff out of there. We went up, and we went out and we went out playing and we went to this, uh, I think it was, it's either a lake or some swampy area. And this is where we did the same procedure that I talked about on Bush Wheels, where we did our passes back and forth to survey, you know, survey the ground. One interesting note, I'm not a seaplane pilot. Is Are any of my co-hosts a seaplane pilot?
3: Nope. No, no.
1: Okay. Well, uh, Ski flying, and, and you know, I may say some things that are not necessarily one hundred percent correct. But remember, I also am not a, a seaplane pilot. But ski, ski plane, not seaplane, but ski plane flying is very similar in the regard to seaplane flying. And the re, some of these some of these um, contrasts, uh, you know, comparisons are: you're landing, you know, the snow is flat. Depending on the time of day that you're flying, especially up in Alaska where you have, you know, a low orbiting sun because of the time of year, you don't always have a lot of direct sunlight on your landing area. So it's similar, you know, he described it to me, it's very similar to landing on water. So you're doing a lot of things that are seaplane related, seaplane carryover, such as, especially on landing, if you don't have a good sense of depth perception on the snow. Um, you know, one of the things you do in a seaplane, similar to what we did this in, in February, is for landing, you configure the aircraft, you set your pitch, you set your power, and you just fly until you touch down. And it's like, you know, you just, you've got everything all set and you're like, where's the ground? Is it coming? Is it coming? Is it coming? Oh, there it is. Okay, well, now i pull the power back and, <laughs> and uh, you know, do our rollout. So we were, you know, we're out on this lake. We're doing a few passes. And I've got some actually got some tricks that I can tell you that we did uh, for for one day. We're up flying on the glacier with, uh, you know, poor sunlight. But the day, the first day we went out, it was a lot of sunlight. We went out on, you know, on this lake. We did our passes. We dragged the uh, skis through a few times. And we did, uh, you know, we did some huge figure eights, um, driving around figure eights on the ground, um, practicing the taxi technique which is a lot also a lot like seaplane flying um you know because you've got the tail out of the out of the uh out of the snow and you're under power and you you're sort of doing like this it feels like it from from the back seat of a, of a tail wheel it's sort of, you know it feels like i'm getting thrown to the outside so it's kind of like this this um sliding sensation so you're under power and you're turning the tail wheels off the snow and so you've only got the you know the two front skis back and forth um you know to to get you through the snow so um you know we practice our ground taxiing down there on the lake and uh you know fl- i mean the flying is no different and it turns out that uh, later in the week i got an opportunity to take a couple of flight lessons with an instructor and so i hopped in the front seat of the super cubby and uh out of, um, Talkeetna, Alaska. I I flew with a gentleman up there and I got my opportunity to, uh, you know, take some actual lessons in the, um, in the ski plane. And some of the things I learned up there now, I mean, you guys are probably like, what, what's one of your common questions? Okay. That airplane's on skis. What do you think? How do I stop? Right, right. right. Um, well, you, you don't. I I nice. learned I learned that the hard way when I couldn't make it around one corner and when I couldn't steer away from an oncoming aircraft. And so there's a couple of interesting things here. Now, the airplane itself um and this is sort of conducive to most ski plane flying, but it's um to the to the point that Making left-hand turns is a lot easier than making right-hand turns on the ground and a lot of that plays into uh, P-factor and torque and all those, um, you know, turning tendencies that help you on the ground That you don't necessarily get in the right-hand turn. So right-hand turns are inherently more difficult uh, For a beginner. So you've got this wider turning radius. So I'm coming down the taxiway And I needed to make a right-hand turn, and it wasn't quite a 90-degree turn. It was more like maybe 100, 120. It was more of a, you know, coming around at an angle. And um, so he tells me, he's like, okay, so when you're coming around this corner, you're going to use all your right rudder, and you're going to give bursts of throttle, bursts of thrust, okay? You're just going to, you know... Take the throttle and and go like that to get and you know, to create short bursts of thrust over the rudder to help turn the airplane. So I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm like, Son of a gun, it's not turning. Here comes the snowbank. And he's like, All right, shut it down and hop out. I'm like, What? He's like, Hop out. (laughs) I pull my seatbelt out, I jump out, I grab the airplane and we, you know, we bring it to a stop. We didn't get close close to the snowbank by any means, uh, but. You know, just like, oh my God, I have to jump out of this thing and stop it. Holy crap.
2: (laughs) Wow. That's amazing.
1: So, you know, it's like, okay, you know, this is what you do. And so we stopped and uh, we repositioned the airplane, (laughs) aimed down the taxiway, hopped in, fired it up again, and did some, you know, some taxiing down the runway and turning off. We did that about three or four times before I got the chance to actually take off for the first time. And um, it was really, a lot less. Carl, what's that
3: now? That's a mall. We've got a mall that's actually taking off. And uh, shortly we'll have the uh, Ford tri-motor take off again.
1: Oh, sweet. Awesome. Let us know. I want to hear it again. We'll have a I, moment I of silence
3: for our Ford tri-motor homes. <laughs> cool, cool. And this is actually a special Ford tri-motor that's taking off right now, and I'll talk about it once it does.
1: Oh, cool. Um, so, you know, I got, got in, I, know, I think it was like six or seven uh, turns around the traffic pattern. And taking off, uh, to be honest with you, taking off and landing is really no more difficult in a normal tailwheel configuration with tires on it. Other than the fact that, again,
3: you don't. Here have, it goes. Oh, OK. Wow, that's a that's a beautiful sound. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I. I hate to interrupt you with all these planes taking off, but this actual, this tri-motor that just took off, this is actually a genuine 1929 Ford tri-motor. And we are really blessed to have them here today. This is uh, the Air Venture Museum's uh, 1929 Ford tri-motor that you may have seen. And actually, if you want to actually fly in a piece of history, you can actually fly in this uh, Ford tri-motor. It does a tour around the United States and actually... It starts here. The tour starts here in Plant City, Florida, and continues on. And if you're interested in taking a flight, go to airventuremuseum.org and uh, slash Ford Tri-Motor, and you can actually book yourself a flight. They're they're booked up through uh, the 25th right now, but their next stops down in Sarasota, and they make a tour all throughout uh, Naples, Fort Myers, uh, just basically throughout the Florida area. So, uh, so yeah, get yourself a ride in an actual piece of history.
1: How much are they? Uh, it's uh,
3: a $80 for a ride. Oh, that's it's not, not bad. That bad. Yeah. No. no. no, no, no. I've and, seen
1: some of them upwards of a couple hundred, 400, dollars not not in a tri-motor, but some of the uh historical aircraft rides can sometimes be a, a, a bit spendy. Right.
3: Right. But that's yeah, I think that's really cheap. But, uh, oh yes! Yeah, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but this this is uh, you know it's just so exciting to see actually a piece of history <laughs> taking off and landing, and you guys get to hear it take off and land. No,
1: it's cool to hear It's like <laughs> just driving by. That's awesome. Yeah, wonderful.
3: <laughs> this this could well, be the most Alaska
1: sound <laughs> interest. Yeah, it might be the most sound interesting podcast oh, with all these all these things, different things going on in the background. But a lot of airplane noise. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, yeah. So, you know, I went, I was in Talkeetna and I got the opportunity to again, fly with an instructor, the, the, you know, really the takeoff and landing is no different than in a normal tailwheel configuration with tires, except for the fact, again, there's no brakes. So what's interesting is there's, there is enough friction, obviously within the skis to be able to slow you down to a taxi speed. What's really interesting though, is landing in crosswinds. Okay. Cause you basically are almost your almost weather vane into the crosswind and when you land on the ground after you've come to a slow enough you know slow enough crawl the airplane has a sort of a bit of a tendency to weather vane into the wind so you may be <laughs> like the equivalent of flying uh, you know across country and you see that wind correction angle you know your nose is pointed one way and your ground track is the other there's times when you're on the ground taxiing around in this ski plane where that's exactly it. You're not exactly facing down the runway, but you are traveling in a straight line down the center line. And it's really mind blowing. So, um, you know, th- just some of those things with, uh, the differences of, of having no brakes, it was, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a neat experience. And so the other time when I <laughs> I had an issue with the taxiing was, um, was on that flight lesson coming back off the runway. I made a turn, a left-hand turn, and the aircraft was a little too far left, so I was trying to turn right because there was a parking area with some airplanes there. And um, you know, I'm again, I'm giving it these short bursts of uh, short bursts of power. The airplane's not turning, and I'm pointed straight at a Cessna that's parked in front of me. And I'm like, oh my gosh! So he's like, all right, you got to do it again. Shut it down and jump out. So I shut it down. I jump out. I grab the airplane, and and uh, you know, we were stopped with about 20 feet um, distance in front of this airplane. I was like, man, I feel like a, a fool. I don't know how to drive. He's like, no, nah, man, this is just the way it is on skis. You know, you have to, you just have to shut it down early and jump out and stop it. And it, you know, this, it's just, it's very common. Um, so it's, it was, it's kind of scary at first. I'm like, my God, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing out here. I shouldn't be <laughs> flying this. Well, I should be flying it, but I shouldn't be driving it. Yeah. Uh, so it was really cool. Um uh, the other aspect of it is, um, uh, you know, when we did some actual flying up on the glaciers, the really cool thing about Denali National Park is, it's kind of funny, but snow machines are prohibited from operating within the, air, within the park. However, aircraft are not. So, you can land, in the summertime, we landed on glaciers, we landed on gravel bars, we actually landed on one gravel bar at the base of um, uh, one of the glaciers and decided, hey, this looks like a cool area. Let's pull out the tent and spend the night. Um, this time in the winter, we landed on uh, one lake and then we went up around the corner to the Ruth Glacier. And then we actually landed at the top of the Ruth Glacier right near the, uh, the opening of the uh, amphitheater. And now this was one of the days where it was overcast skies. Uh, and so we didn't have a lot of sunlight. One really neat trick that I learned from these bush pilots is to use markers to um to help you with your depth of feet uh depth of um, your um yeah you're, you're judging the distance from the ground, and so uh, sometimes they'll use like two by fours or some like the in this particular day we had um we had uh, trash bags full of potatoes, and so we were flying around flying in circles trying to get a survey of the land and then we this actually this day we're in flying in formation with a a, a piper pacer, which originally was born as a tri pacer on three wheels, and then the owner had it converted back to a pacer, which is the tailwheel version. So we're flying, um, you know, the two of us were out there flying these two aircraft, and uh, he had these markers, so he's he's flying flying a line up and down the glacier to get a good idea of which direction the wind's coming from. And then he throws, he does three passes, and on each pass, he throws one of these trash bags with potatoes out. Now, what that does is it lands on the surface of the snow, okay, so we had these three markers that were in a line, and it lands on the surface of the snow to give you a visual reference for judging your height above, uh, you know, above the ground, because in this instance, in the overcast sky with no direct sunlight, we had no idea, I mean, it's very difficult to tell, you know, just exactly how high you are, so again, sometimes they use two-by-fours to make, an. if you drop it, you know, like a two-by-four in the snow, it's sort of, makes an indentation or you can see the two by four we were using these sacks of potatoes and uh, we use that to land on the glacier as a visual reference so again um i don't know if you can use markers like that in seaplane flying maybe you could throw some buoys out or something that floats but uh, you no, know, just a lot of really cool things that I learned out there about flying, um, and I do have a lot of video, and I still haven't edited it all. I'm very sorry for that. I'll be working on that very soon. Um, some cool flying videos that I took up there. Uh, we had a, a two-camera setup: one in the one in the cockpit, and one on the uh, gear assembly just above the ski. So you get the inside view, the outside view. There's a lot of cool stuff. Uh, a lot of cool stuff to show, but. Um, Gosh, I don't even know if I forgot to mention anything, uh, but it's just such an exciting experience to be out there flying and 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 landing off airport and plowing around through the snow and landing on mountaintops and gravel bars and it's just it's just intense. If anybody ever gets the opportunity to go up there, I suggest you uh, you know, go to the airport, take a sightseeing tour, maybe even take a couple of lessons from a local instructor and get an experience because it is Alaska is a, is is a pilot's playground. It's exactly what it is. It's pretty much a no uh, no holds barred. You do whatever you want, go wherever you want, and it's it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing.
2: Wow, very cool. I mean, that's some good stuff.
4: <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> you guys uh, message me yeah. later on. I'll hook you up with my buddy for for uh, for your own ride in the airplane.
0: Cool. So yeah.
3: That was interesting, but I learned a lot. Gosh, I didn't realize all that about the ski flying and not being – jumping out of the plane, I would have freaked out if he told me. I was like, well, you want me to do what? <laughs> well, you know, it's
1: interesting. You know, what is – what did the regulations say about having your your, your seatbelt on in the airplane, right? Mm-hmm. For ta- or for your shoulder belt, at least, it's for taxi takeoff and landing, And but, you know, you always have your – most airplanes, it's, it's attached to the lap belt. But, you know, he says to me, he goes, you know, you may want to consider, I know what the regulations say, but you may want to at least keep in the back of your mind that taxiing on the ground, you may or may not decide to have your seatbelt on, depending on if you're at an airport, how slippery the surface is. If you do need to jump out of that aircraft, you may want to taxi with your seatbelt off. And I was like, yeah, you know, I could see that that's a definite conflict, but what's the lesser of two evils, right? Taxiing with no seatbelt or... You know smashing into something because you couldn't get out in time to stop so it it was it was a hard thing to you know conceptualize but uh you know i could understand the merits of why you would do that but i really did jump out and grab the grab the wing strut you know to slow the airplane to stop the airplane from moving on on that second uh that second taxi issue it was it was strange just so, absolutely strange
2: so cross let me ask you that crosswind landing thing so you you still land Sort of oriented straight ahead. You don't land weather right, veining, yeah. No, but, you
1: do this, like you know the one wheel touchdown, yeah. and 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 just once you start slowing down to taxi speed, you you sort of start to
2: to weather van to weather van. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Yeah, that's neat.
1: Yeah, and and the surface, you know, we were at the airport on the runway, so it was um, it was more packed ice than it was snow. So it's a lot more. It's a you know just quite slippery, and you really like. I mean, you have to come down to. Um, idle power or less while you're taxiing. One of the other things I forgot to mention is a run-up. In those conditions, you do what's called a low-power run-up, and you're basically doing a mag check at 1,000 RPM. You're not, re- you're not taking it up to normal RPM. So you're doing this low-power run-up, checking your mags, checking everything else, because you can't bring it up to 1,800, 2,000 RPM on, the, you know, on a slippery surface right. with no brakes. Um, so there's a lot of challenges that go into ski plane flying. Wow. Very cool. I can't wait to see the videos. Yeah, I I promise they will be coming out soon. In fact, I was Hurry just at, up. <laughs> I was just at the Apple store yesterday talking to the guys about the video editing software so that I could uh, bang out some of these videos. So we'll yeah. we'll, uh, we'll get a move on, but um so that, you know, that was my that was my Alaska ski plane flying experience uh, supplemented to my Alaska bush plane flying experience and uh you better believe I'll be back up there again. I think my next adventure is going to be, uh, you know, obtaining my seaplane rating. And I, I can't think – I know there's a lot of good schools in the country, some in Florida and elsewhere. But for me, I think it might be uh, – I think Alaska is going to be the place that I might go back to uh, for yet another flying adventure. But, um, yeah, just super cool. Again, if anybody gets a chance to go up there, it's well worth your time, most definitely. Um, Very and, cool. And, uh, You know, you might even bump into some of the folks from Flying Wild Alaska. You never know. Our Picks of the Week. Okay, well, let's move on to uh, our final segment of the show today, which is our Picks of the Week, uh, a portion of the show where we share our, uh, you know, share different aviation products and services that uh, we've used or find interesting. And uh, why don't we start with uh, Carl today. Since you are at the event,
3: tell us about your Pick of the Week. Well, my Pick of the Week actually is... uh, airventuremuseum.org airventuremuseum.org and it's actually a specific part of uh, airventuremuseum.org and that's the flight operations portion. And I don't know if people know this, but the, the museum, the Air Venture Museum, EAA's Air Venture Museum, has a wide variety of aircraft. They're actually airworthy and flying from powered parachutes to B-17s. And most of these are operated by people like you and me. Have uh, you know They've had an interest and decided, hey, I want to get my uh, rating in that aircraft, and they had the means to do that and what they'll do is they'll fly these aircraft around you can fly the trimotor the uh, b17 and all all sorts of different aircraft the uh, one in particular of course is the one that's flying here that i'm interested in that's the uh, the actual 1929 tri trimotor and this thing is beautiful and uh, just it's it is immaculate just like they say uh, in their advertising it's uh, in, and to go up in this thing if this is on your bucket list you need to do it and just go Go out there and uh, click on Book Your Flight. They're doing a tour right now, actually, in uh, March and April through the uh, and uh, even parts of May through the Florida region. So if that's uh, something that you'd be interested in, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. It's only $80. Gosh, you could have a flight lesson that costs more than $80, and this would be well worth it. So, again, it's airventuremuseum.org slash Ford Trimotor.
1: Awesome, and and you said a little bit earlier the next uh, destination was
3: was it Sarasota? The next one will be at uh, Sarasota Bradenton Airport on March twenty sixth uh, through the twenty eighth, and then yeah, Naples actually... the 29th through the April second. Okay, so the Naples one is when uh, March 29th through April second, and then after that it's Fort Lauderdale from April fifth through the eighth. Okay, so these I'm later, sorry, yeah, the next one uh, next one's at March 29th ninth through the April second, and then the uh, right. April fifth through eighth, Fort Lauderdale, Punta Gorda, the ninth through the eleventh, and then Stewart. But you can go to the website; it'll show you all their different uh, the times and uh, when to show up at the airport and what to bring with you. Cool, that's so neat. I have to. Are they going to be at uh, Sun and Fun? Uh, no, Sun and Fun. Uh, they're doing their their. Uh, you know, I don't know about that. I know the rides won't be at Sun and Fun. They're doing okay. the rides at uh, I mean, Naples the Naples Airport. This
1: show comes out. You know. Is uh, was released on April
3: first, but uh, recorded previously.
1: But anyway, I was just curious for my own accord. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess we won't get to see that down there. But
3: um, anyway, yeah, but maybe they might fly in though. That's uh, I'll I'll ask some folks and I'll let people know. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, Victoria, tell us about your pick of the week today.
4: Um, my pick of the week is um, actually a friend of mine's uh, video channel. We mentioned TJ earlier who flew the Cirrus yes. up all the way from Florida to fly for wind, win, fly it forward. Um, this guy's amazing. This is the second year he had come up for fly it forward. But um, he's got an amazing Cirrus SR22 GT3 turbo, whatever, all the numbers, <laughs> um, great plane, um, and has the Avidyne system in there. And so he started off doing this YouTube channel, um, basically showing him using the system, using the autopilot, and um, basically his adventures. He also has a blog. Um, where his goal was to reach all 50 States with this airplane. And I think he's done it. Um, most recently was Hawaii and he has a couple of his landings and stuff on YouTube, which are pretty cool to watch. So, um, he's got a plethora of videos, um, both in the Cirrus. Um, there's one in a cub doing ribbon cutting, a lot of fun stuff on there. And, um, his name on the YouTube channel is T. Shembekar, S -S 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 H E M E E K A R. So, um, He's a really great guy with really great videos, so I recommend yeah. you check it out.
1: Yeah, Carl and I got to meet him at Women Fly It Forward. We're just a
3: great guy, really super oh, friendly. He's amazing. Yeah. Very yeah, friendly. He's fun. luckily he's in the Tampa area, so he keeps calling me to see if I want to go for an airplane ride. <laughs> Carl, what like, oh, yeah. a All
4: day long. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, it's awesome. oh, you got to take it, take him up on the offer, my friend. Oh, I will when I'm in town. I no, definitely. I've flown really with him. Perfect.
4: It's 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 a lot of fun.
3: Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, it's I can't been, wait. <laughs> oh, we got
1: something big in the background.
3: Uh, it's a Harley. Oh. There's a lot of Harley Davidson <laughs> <there> too. <laughs> it's not an airplane, but equally cool.
1: That's right. Really cool. Trains, automobiles, <laughs> and now I Harley. <laughs> I love how we got all excited and
4: then yeah. was like, oh, what is yeah, that? What is a that Harley. low rumble?
1: <laughs> oh, geez. Um, Rick, tell us about your pick of the week.
2: Yeah, just a a quick thing. I actually was going to try to. Say that my pick was the, the Microsoft Flight, which is the new their new version of Flight their old, their old Flight Simulator, um, and and I have downloaded it and played with it a little, and it's very cool. But the computer I'm running on, first of all, I think it's Windows only, obviously, and uh, mm-hmm. the Windows machine I have is um, is certainly not ramped up for that kind of uh, data flow through, so it's it's a little sluggish. So I can't really re- review it, although everyone says it looks pretty cool. It seems to be more of a gaming thing than it than it used to be, but still kind of fun. Um, but then I was, got to thinking. Oh, you know, I should see. I haven't played um, uh, X Plane in a while. I haven't flown X Plane in a while. I should try that out. And um, you know, it's for those of you who don't know. It's a, it's a you know, aviation software that runs on a number of platforms, computers, but also uh, mobile devices, iOS devices, Android um, as well. And uh, I had not. If you if you don't know of it, it's cool. It's uh, very realistic, and you got you know a ton of options on where to fly and what kind of plane to fly and what weather conditions and all, all the usual stuff. Um, and they had changed a few things since I uh, had uh, used it. And one of the things I noticed was you have a sort of an independent rudder control um, down at the bottom of the screen. So you, it's a little more realistic in terms of how you can how you can set up, say, crosswind landings and, and play with them using the rudder. So um, I just hadn't talked about it before, and I, I think it's a great software and um, recommend it. And the, the new, the new um, iPad display looks pretty sharp on that. So that's my pick.
1: Yeah, and, and how about a quick uh, plug for yourself? You just upgraded from iPad One to new iPad. Yes. Quick, that, quick
2: thoughts. That's a plug for myself. Congratulations, Rick. <laughs> um, no. Uh, quick thoughts. Yeah. So I went from one. I skipped the two and went and straight to three. And um, that jump is is sort of obvious. If you can, if you can get one, if you if it's in the price range that you can do that, uh, the upgrade is a sort of a no-brainer. It's it's way faster. The the reason the first one's gotten slower is that the operating system. I think is, is challenging it more. And uh, exactly. right. so it, it wasn't always slow, but now it's feeling very slow. And sure. uh, so usable in certain situations, I, uh, I'm going to find another application for it, but yeah, so much faster, the screen uh, incredibly uh, sharp. I, I will say that there are people who won't notice probably cause they don't look for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, but when you look at it, after you're using it a while uh, the icons, it's just more data points within everything it's drawing right. on the screen that allow it to, to be crisper. Um, so, yeah, and I, you know, and otherwise, and it's, it's got all the benefits. Well, the camera's better. Um, I haven't made use of that much yet, uh, but better than than the second one. And then everything else is very similar. Structurally, it's the same, essentially the same shape and size. So, yeah, um, yeah so if you have two, it's probably worth checking one out to see if you think you need to upgrade. Uh, oh, I know. I should also say that the speeds on the, um, at least through AT&T, on the 4G LTE are um, pretty screaming. I mean, it's, oh, yeah, yeah, it's like, I mean, I, I, it was. I measured Wi-Fi against it, and it was, it was, the, it was close. I got so, as
1: high as about 19 yeah. megabytes download and 10 or 12 upload on LTE, and I'm like, whoa! Life yeah. at LTE speed is, yeah, it's boring when I'm on 4G again.
2: Right, I mean, it is. Oh. It is a point where you start to think now. I'd, now I may want to pay AT&T <laughs> for the privilege of of te- of tethering. Right now, uh-huh. I have never done tethering. I
1: have. Yeah, me neither.
2: I have an, I have the original plan, and we. I was able to con- keep converting my original. Plan, unlimited plan through them, right. and uh yeah. that's cool. But but boy, that speed—it's almost like you're walking around with Wi-Fi everywhere, which is pretty cool.
1: It's it was impressive. It's definitely impressive. Yeah, and, and of well, course
2: the data the data gets used faster, so you're going to need a big plan. You know, it's going to start costing more. Yeah, and all that, it, but it's anyway. possible. So yeah,
1: uh, and we may talk a little bit more about it in an upcoming episode once because because not all the uh aviation charting applications have been updated uh, right. visually to reflect the new screen. But we'll you know we'll talk about that when it
2: happens. Yeah, it didn't um. Before flight did right
1: they are working on it i, I we tweeted out uh okay. on release day some of the you know some of some of our observations and they okay. tweeted back to me and a few other people that they're in the midst of their update to to utilize the uh the, the new screen real estate yeah so, that'll
2: be cool because it's pretty yeah. crisp and if they can put some, more data yeah. in there it's pretty yeah amazing. for sure cool um,
1: cool well uh, uh tying into a little bit my pick of the week tying into a little bit with the alaska trip uh, like i said i filmed a lot of video up there and um ooh, we've got can you hear those fire engines? Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry for the interruption. Um, Lots of excitement. The be- I know the benefits of podcasting outside, but uh, anyway, uh, the Alaska trip you did a lot of uh, video of, uh, filming with video, and, and as I've talked about previously, you know, my GoPro Hero One, my GoPro Hero Two, uh, as picks of the week here on the Stuck Mike Avcast. Um, one of the limitations of recording with a GoPro in an airplane is when you use the camera facing forward through the propeller, you get what's, what, what uh, some of us refer to as prop artifacting, where you don't get that nice circular um, blurred disk. You get, uh, you know, depending on what kind of camera you're using, you'll get different uh, different levels of, of prop artifacting, where sometimes it looks like there's a black bar going horizontally up and down through the screen. Or depending on you know on what kind of camera you're using, you'll see the blades individually look like they're spinning through uh, you know at real slow motion. And uh, what I did was you know I was like you know what this is just unacceptable. This camera is so phenomenal, and the, and the imagery that it takes is so phenomenal, but it's got some limitations. I did some research, and uh, I came up with some ways to modify the GoPro case to use it in an aviation environment to um, to eliminate that prop artifacting and what you'll see in some of these Alaska videos is an actual demonstration of the case in use um, and I have sent it out to a couple of uh, close friends on Twitter uh, modified their cases for them as a as a, as a group of beta testers to, to get their feedback uh, and when I do get the final product I'll you know share that online so you guys can check it out but we have uh, you know a successful modified case that provides um, Perfect vision through your propeller that you can use with your GoPro Hero and your Hero Two. So uh, you know it's something I've been working on for a couple of months now. Part of the reason I went up to Alaska is well, you know, besides ski plane flying, I had to test my new toy. So
0: of uh, course,
3: <laughs> and you went you know, to Alaska.
1: What? It, yeah, why not? Right? Why not? <laughs> it's like that one time I went to uh, England just to have some beer, but uh, that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> the,
4: living the life, isn't it? For the day, yes. There's the,
1: I've been to uh, I've been to the UK a couple of times, just for 24 hours to go hang out with friends for a beer and then come home. Nice. But anyway, the benefits of airline pilotry. Yeah. So uh, you know, I'll share the uh, link for this uh, uh, when it is up for sale. They, but they um,
2: look great. I mean, it is. It is. It solves that problem. And, yeah. and that's and that's a huge. Thing because it's I mean I think there's some people who think well whatever but it just it's not what you see with your eyes so right. when you're presenting a flight to someone and it's video it's distracting some of it those some of the sometimes sure. the prop looks curved and you know, so it's it's just not right
1: <laughs> if you use your iPhone in the airplane oh yeah I just started researching how to modify those cases so that you can get an iPhone case and use your iPhone dun, we do dun, the dun, same dun. thing for iPhone exactly so um, stay tuned for more information stay on tuned. That.
0: For more information (laughs) that's cool the after landing checklist
1: so uh wonderful well um anybody else have anything to add uh before we head off the show today uh actually carl you wanted to thank our uh sponsors
3: yes uh the the folks at keel and curly winery uh... who's just right down the road from plant city airport where i am today they are my sponsors here at the event and they're very nice to let me uh... use their their hangar here and one thing that they're gonna do for our listeners or anybody that's actually flown in or flies into plant city to take a tour of the winery, they're going to give us a, a discount, so mention the Stuck Mike Avcast, or mention the fact that you flew in, because of course you can't sample the wines when you go there, but you can go on the tour, they also have some free, uh, they have live music on uh, Friday nights, It's just a simple little, uh, I think it's a $5 cover or something like that, and uh, and they will, if you take the effort and come out, they'll give you a big discount on uh, on wine, I don't know exactly what the discount was, but um, it's keelandcurlywinery.com, definitely the, uh, they're award-winning wines. Uh, they're blueberry wines, and they have some other varietals. Uh, you'll see some uh, some other uh, juices coming from California. So uh, just a wonderful place to go. Uh, and Keel and Curly Winery, again, they're, they're, they're our sponsors today, the Napa Valley the Tampa Bay. Very cool. Did you get us a couple of bottles for tasting or what, man? I Actually, I have quite a few waiting for you, Len. I have five different <laughs> varieties for you to Holy try. Holy moly. Yes. It doesn't have to be all at once, but uh, we're going to spend one night just trying some of their wines, and we'll, we'll report back on how that went.
1: <laughs> Wonderful. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, this has been episode number 21 of the Stuck My Gabcast. Uh, again, myself, Len Costa, Carl Valeri, Rick Belty, and Victoria Neuville. Thank you all for tuning in to today's episode. Uh, we wish you all clear skies and calm winds. Take care, everybody an airplane. <laughs>
0: Costa Production.